Welcome to this episode of Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering with the goal of giving you the knowledge and the tools and the power to manage your energy. Welcome to this episode of Energy Radio. Uh, Today I'm joined with our very own Lisa Barber and a very special member of the energy community, uh, a member of what I call the Martin Lensink uh, Quarter Century Club. Uh, That's a group of people that Martin has known for 25 years or more, and I think Akhil um, Zaidi from Enbridge uh, fits that category. So Akhil, welcome. Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself, but first you have a a little uh, commercial you have to do first, right? Yeah, well, thanks, uh, Matt, and thanks, Lisa, for giving me the opportunity to to come here and uh, and present some of my views. Yeah. And, uh, as you said, you know, uh, it's not even quarter century with Martin. It's just more than that. <laughs> so I just want to make a disclosure that uh, uh, whatever I'm going to talk, I think those are going to be primarily my personal views, uh, not of Enbridge. As you know, you know, I have my, I work for Enbridge Gas. Yes. Uh, has been with Enbridge Gas and Combined Union Gas for about 30 years now. Wow. So, so, so you know, a lot of like I have my own views on certain topics and uh, so, so just want to have that disclosure there. Perfect. And, and would be uh, my views and uh, obviously, you know, a lot of those views are shared by Enbridge, but uh, just want to be sure that these are just for disclosure would be my views. So. Understood. And, and we invited you because we want your views. So this is perfect. Um, this <laughs> great. is great. Thank you. Can you give us a, a quick kind of summary of, you know, kind of your career arc um, in the energy space in terms of, you know, how you get your started in engineering, somewhere along the lines you run into Martin, uh, but kind of a couple nuggets of what you've done, uh, just so the people who are listening get some background on you know this pretty impressive career that uh, that you've had in in our space, really. Yeah, you know because I have been around for some time, and uh, uh, so I could spend a lot of time on sure. that. But I would be brief. Uh, so a lot of time, I think people like a lot of people don't know that how I started my career, uh, which is very new now. But it was uh, new about in 1981. So when I graduated from University of Manitoba, uh, I worked in solar energy. Wow, Wow. really? Wow, really? And I worked for for four years, four or five years in solar energy. No kidding. That's that's all what I did. Uh, Wow. Was it like, was it solar PV or solar solar thermal? No, actually what is interesting that at that time, uh, we thought that solar thermal is the one which is going to make an impact. Huh. Solar PV was just mm-hmm. starting, and uh, wind was also sort of uh, at infancy stage, both of these technology, but solar thermal was very advanced. Yes. And Canada was leader at that time in solar thermal. Yes. So a lot of work, would be, I was working with a consulting engineering firm in Winnipeg, and uh, we had a very big contract with uh, a national Research Council, okay. which was doing a lot of work in solar thermal. Wow. And we were collaborating with the University of Waterloo, who was developing, uh, actually the person who was involved, who set up the uh, system engineering group at mm. Waterloo, okay. Professor Chandra Shaker. Okay. So, so it was a core group. We were consultants, NRC was involved, University of Waterloo. So 
And a lot of what we were doing was feeding into Canadian contribution to international energy agency. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So this so, wasn't just local. This was no, kind it, of it, all it, over the world. No, it was, it was big. So, yeah. So, so that's what I did for, for five years and uh, uh, did a lot of exciting work. And wow. that's where my passion, just uh, the work I had done in heat transfer, combustion, fluid flow, yeah. uh, energy really fitted very nicely. So those early years really set you on the trajectory of the rest of your career. Exactly. Is that, yeah. is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, all and you the, all graduated the with a degree from Manitoba in mechanical engineering specifically, right? Right. Yeah. So, but uh, so I did my uh, master's from University of Manitoba, but I did in heat transfer and fluid flow. Mm. Mm. So, mm. so that's uh, that's that's got into at that time it used to be also called and still called energy engineering. So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it, it it really fed nicely into my career in the energy sector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so where do you go from the, the consultancy then? Then you, then you go to yeah, NRCAN? So, no, so what happened is then uh, the, uh, the solar industry collapsed, uh -huh. not only in Canada, but all over the world. Yes. What happened, our projections at that time were that the oil prices will go to 40 or $50 a barrel. What happened, the oil prices plunged to single digit. Single digits, yeah. wow. It went okay. down to like about 8 or $9. And then there were change, changes uh, politically also due to that. So the whole work which was being done, it just collapsed. And as you know, consulting engineers, if you don't have work, you're out. Yes. So yes. we were 20 people at one time yeah. working on solar. Wow. And then it dwindled down to zero. Yeah. Oh, uh, so that's where I changed my... Uh, my career a little bit. Okay. Uh, worked with another uh, couple of consulting engineering firms which were very specialized in research and development. Okay. Got exposed to the boilers, condensing boilers, which were just starting in 1986. Okay. So did quite a bit of work on the development of condensing boilers and the whole condensing technology. And are you working with, with OEMs directly then? Like no, actually, I had been working more on the technology development side. Okay. More so, R&D than... Uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, there was a company uh, which has got the manufacturing rights to build uh, the condensing boiler okay. from Canadian Gas Research Institute. Ah. So I worked with that company, uh, Admic Controls, okay. Okay. Uh, which was building actually condensing boiler. Okay, cool. And that led me to, uh, which is now Enercan. Uh, yes. That used to be at that time energy mines and resources. Right. And right. that is going back like in 1987. Okay. And uh, at that time, the federal government used to have regional offices in each province. Mm. And those offices were called Conservation and Renewable Energy Offices. Mm. And really? This is late 80s. That is, we're already uh, yeah. using that nomenclature. We are now looking at about the late 80s. Yeah. And uh, so I was in the Ontario office of Enercan, let's say. Cool. And uh, we were doing some very exciting work. We had a program was called Demo, So it used to fund the demonstration of new energy efficient technologies. And cool. that's where I met Martin. Oh, really? Oh, okay. cool. That what? would be sometime in 1987 or 1988. Okay. Wow. And was he, he was developing some technology and, and like only Martin can do, he came to you looking for, for some kind of government funding? No, so what happened is uh, he used to work, I think, uh, with Union Gas yes. at that time. Yes. So he had a project either with a greenhouse 
or with uh, Hind, I, I'm forgetting which one. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was with a greenhouse for a CHP. Okay, yes. That was the first one. Yes. So he approached our office for incentive and for funding. Okay. Really? So, so that's where I met Martin. Okay, and in did, you give, did he get the money from you? Uh, <laughs> it's an important I, I, question. I, I, pro probably he did. I, I, I can't recall now. <laughs> but uh, so we He's were, in the building. We can check. <laughs> yeah, so he can testify. You know, that's right. That's uh, right. What I'm saying is right or wrong. So, so that's where I met him. Okay. And wow. uh, so he had been passionate about CHP since then, as yeah. you can see. And I had been passionate about CHP since then. Okay. So that's how... And the rest is history. So yeah. we followed each other. That's great. So, that's a great uh, story. Yeah. So, so well, he, I've known Martin for like 30 something years. He, and Elisa's heard the story many times, but he always, he always says he fell in love with his wife in 1978 and he fell in love with Kojen in 1986, right? So, so 1986. So that's, that's, that's when he met you. Yeah. 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 Wow. We met in 1987. And, uh, there you go. The rest so is our, history. our love affair goes through. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> for awesome. And, yeah. and somehow you transition then to the gas side of the business? Yeah. So, so what happened is... Uh, uh, in 1989, uh, the federal government uh, decided to shut down all these offices. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they shut down all these offices, uh, then uh, then I moved to uh, the gas industry Yeah. Uh, in 1989. Okay. So just to give a quick history that uh, right now there is only one gas utility in Ontario, Enbridge Gas Inc. At that time, there used to be three. Okay. <clears throat> one was... Uh, Consumer Gas, right. Union Gas, and ICG. Mm. Uh -huh. So ICG used to serve eastern and northern parts. So all the pulp and paper mills and everything, that was ICG. Oh. <clears throat> so I started with ICG. Oh. And uh, uh, we had a, uh, our senior executive at that time was really had the vision <clears throat> that uh, they wanted to have people, they set up a new group, they wanted to have a have a group which can provide technical support to their large industrial customer to help them improve their energy efficiency. Wow. Yeah. So what, it, what, it, it, vis what vision, eh? Like <clears throat> to, yeah. to see that they, that could be a service that the gas utility could provide. Yeah. And there were no energy efficiency program, there were no incentive, but they had the vision <clears throat> that uh, we need people who really need to know uh, about the latest technologies, yeah, and we bring those technologies to our customers or help our customers to uh, improve their energy efficiency. And that's where I was telling you that I have tested close to 500 boilers in Ontario. That's amazing. Hands wow. on. Yeah. That was all that service, and in that process, I've tested gas turbines, reheat furnaces, and lime kiln. Oh, you name it. So, huh. <clears throat> yeah. So then ICG. Uh, became Centra Gas. Okay, yes. And then Centra Gas was merged with Union Gas. Yes. So all those years, uh, for 17 years, uh, I was in that transition, essentially okay. Union Gas. And then in 2006, for family reason, I had twins, I think a lot of people know. Yeah. They were growing really oh, fast. I yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think people like Martin, they know quite sure. well. Yes. Uh, so, and they were growing fast, and I used to travel a lot. Right because I was covering whole Ontario for Union Gas. So, wow. so uh, just for that reason, to, to stay closer to the family, I made the switch and uh, joined Enbridge. And now it is all back to 
one it's big all happy three, family. One big happy family. Yeah, so yeah. so, so no, talk to me a bit about so you, you, you fall you fall in love with the same woman as Martin uh, in, in CHP, you know, for clarity. <laughs> right, right. So you fall in love with CHP uh, in, in the late eighties. I mean, here we are now, what is it, you know, uh, 25 years later, like we've talked about. Um, the here and now, like, what, what have you seen change in the, the CHP <coughs> space? Like, some of it's probably the same, and there's probably a lot of change. You know, what's your, you know? Yeah, I think it would be great if Martin, before he completely retired, if he can write a book. Yes, yes, <laughs> on, exactly. On that, uh, uh, about the CHP, that uh, how it has gone, like, what is the past, and the... Uh, Although it won't reflect what the future is, but one thing is, which is, I'm pretty sure that you would agree, and I'm pretty sure that Martin would agree that uh, uh, CHP in Ontario has been always driven by the government policies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That has been the biggest driver. Mm -hmm. So, in early '90s, uh, Ontario Hydro uh, had a program which was called NUG mm -hmm. on utility generation, and uh, through that program. They provided some very nice uh, mechanism where investors can come in and build yes. 100, 200 megawatt facilities and connect those thermal loads to the host facilities. Okay. And so, for example, ICG was the first one who built 110 megawatt CHP in Fort Francis. Okay. <clears throat> and it was connected to a paper mill. I see, okay. So these are the projects like that, and there were quite a few, yeah, uh, these big projects. And it was largely was, driven by third-party investors who would build it <clears throat> for a steam, steam host? Is that basically how Exactly, yeah. third-party developer, they, they had a 20-year contract. Uh, it was a very simple contract that, you know, if you're an investor, you're putting your money, you know how things are going to be for the next 20 years. Yeah. Right. And that's how, lot of some very good projects got built through that program. So that was in, in early 90s. Because at that time, the, uh, the predictions were that there would be a shortfall ah, in of, the, in, of electricity of supply electricity, yes, yes. on the supply side. Yeah. And then at once, I think it was in mid-90s, that, uh, uh, it, that it turned the, that there is going to be surplus. <clears throat> and at that time, that program came to an halt. Right. <clears throat> and uh, at once, actually, there was uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, political environment uh, or policy environment discouraging CHP. Mm. What, actually, why, <clears throat> why exactly at that point? Because what I think, uh, because if you have an oversupply, right. you don't want to, uh, okay. if people are going to continue to build CHP, it would take away... Uh, so the, the diff <coughs> different than a piece that we're going to come to in a minute. At that point, it was it was purely a supply, uh, you know, supply versus demand conversation exactly. uh, from electricity <coughs> perspective only. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, we used to joke, and I'm pretty sure Martin knows that uh, there were. If you're a very big industrial facility and you want some special incentive or special rate, you just show that you're really interested in putting a 200 or 300 megawatt CHP. Uh-huh. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, And then yeah. you will get really. Right. And there was one consultant who used to offer his services that if you want to reduce your energy costs, let me do a <clears throat> feasibility study. Uh-huh. As, as, uh, as, as really a pitch to the government to get, to, the to, to yeah. get an anti-cogen yeah. rate, basically. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's yeah. what we used to call yeah. anti-cogen yeah, yeah, yeah. rate. Yeah. 
Uh, and that, that, that stayed, I think it was in late 90s. And then things changed again. And uh, then, uh, uh, as you know, there was a program called uh, uh, CHP-RFP. Yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah. That there were certain projects, so there was a process for RFP for certain CHPs, big CHPs, I think including Thorold and the one at uh, a couple of others, they got built yes. through that process. Right. Yes. Uh, and then came Chipsop. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes. then some projects got built through Chipsop. Yeah. And I think that is going to take us to early 2000 sometime. Yeah, early mid 2000s. And then the whole thing got stagnant. Yeah. For quite a few years. And then all the activity we saw starting uh, 2014, 15. Yep. And that's when uh, uh, ISO. Uh, and actually Ministry of Energy at that time, uh, they started to treat CHP as part of their CDM strategy. Right. As, as energy conservation. So the right. moment it became part of uh, ISOs or LDC's uh, CDM program, yeah. uh, that's where it really took off because then the incentive, 40% yeah. incentive was there yeah. and you know very well that uh, that incentive, what it did, I oh, think yeah. uh, uh, there were probably like a couple of hundred projects at least. I would say, yeah, for sure. And and I mean, we're cleaning up the last kind of batch of those now, right? But even that had fits and starts. I remember when I rejoined Martin, um, the, the the program had come out. It was announced. It was at that time seventy percent of capital was oh, the cap. Wow. It was crazy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then and then everybody's like, oh, time out, shut shut it down. And so when I at the time when I rejoined Martin in twenty thirteen. Um, they, 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 there was a moratorium on the program was still there, but CHP was not an eligible technology. And then, oh, so nothing had yet been built. Everything had been studied, but nothing had been built. And then, I think late 2013, they lifted that. And so, a Polycon, the Magna plant, and Toyota were one of the first couple ones to finally, you know, get that. And it was reduced to 40 percent, which is still a big chunk well, of change. 70%, right? that's uh, it was, and and 70 percent always applied to like waste energy projects, right? So, yeah. um, have you? Where's your perspective, Akil? You've you've tested all these boilers. You're clearly, you're clearly playing up here in your headspace in the policy, but also you have the 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 chops to play in the in the technical space. What have you seen change in the CHP industry on the technology side? Are there any big? Uh, I mean, some again has stayed the same, but what's what's intrigued you about how that technology has changed over the years? Yeah. So uh, on the gas turbine side. Uh, the biggest change was the uh, the NOx. NOx used to be a big issue for gas turbine because of the high temperature. Yeah. So the low NOx technology came in, and the uh, the uh, dry NOx uh, uh, dry uh, combustors. Yes. Yes. So 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 that because before that, actually, if you look at, there were a couple of projects which were done. We're using a steam injection or right. water, water injection, injection to yes. actually there was a cycle which was developed at that time called Cheng cycle. Yes. Just for that reason, to achieve the not only the NOx but was augmentation as well. Yes. And we have one uh, CHP system running on both. Okay. In Ontario. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so that was uh, uh, so then that changed to this dry uh, dry NOx combustor. So that that has been a big change. Yeah. The second one is the overall efficiency increase. Yeah. Uh, on the right. gas turbine side. Yeah. But uh, there has been quite a bit on the recip engine. I mean, that's one area where uh, 
uh, the the electrical output from those engines have just gone up like yeah. the, all the way up to like 45%. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the big thing which also happened is that uh, the recip engines at that time you know a lot of those used to be uh, on-site installation now it is all packaged right uh, right okay, so the, yeah. the delivery has changed the delivery right has yeah changed quite yeah. a bit so yeah. so you know a, a few things have changed yeah yeah on, the, cool. on the technology side yeah that that, pe that perspective I, I love to hear that so thank you for that yeah, yeah. yeah. and i think we're probably one of the only podcasts out there with a reference to the Cheng cycle. So, you know, that, that, we, we, need to, we need to put that in the title of this That's episode. Right. Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll gravitate a lot of people. Let's go back to the policy yeah. side. So you, you made a great reference that, you know, the surge or the peaks in CHP development have been policy driven. But my sense is that the valleys in that are also policy driven. And we're in a current policy climate of, you know, kind of carbon as a swear word, right? Is one of the phrases that we use. Um, but you have a bit of a different stance on that, I think, in terms of where CHB fits into this broader emissions discussion and how you see it potentially as a, a tool um, for, CH, for, for emission reduction as opposed to you're burning gas, you're bad. Like, talk to us about your perspective on that whole atmosphere. Well, I'm glad that, that, that you know, you, you asked that, that particular <laughs> question because uh, that is... Uh, the topic where I have been uh, very passionate about for yes. the last, at least for three, four years. And, and we love that you're the and, champion of it, by and, the way. And, and, and we have done a lot of work. And, uh, and so, so what happened is uh, uh, the whole, the GAG reduction from CHP, again, that's from my personal perspective. Yes. Uh, I think it is not a technical issue. Technically, anybody who understands uh, that what CHP could do for GAG reduction is a very strong argument. Mm. So uh, it's not a technical issue. I think it has been a political issue. Mm. And the political issue exactly what you mentioned that if you have a backdrop of electrification or GAG reduction and uh, uh, looking uh, uh, from this lens that uh, anything which is burning uh, fossil fuel is adding GHG. Yeah. So if you look at it from that perspective, yeah, then you would see that, yeah, it is adding uh, GHG emissions. Right. But then if you look at technically and from a bigger perspective. Can, can and, you walk and, us and, through and, and, that, and, that story for a minute? I think it's important for, for those who are listening to, to hear the technical rationale, because I, I love it personally, but I want to hear from you for the benefit of our listeners, that technical explanation. Yeah, so I think because uh, I can speak at the higher level because as Lisa has seen my presentation and you have seen, yes. uh, I can explain, I'm a techie, so I can explain it very nicely <laughs> with a, on a chart, on a board, whiteboard and uh, on my slides, <laughs> but uh, just on speaking, I'll keep it at a high level. Uh, so, so really what it is, so when you put a CHP at a site, mm -hmm. uh, what it is doing, it is displacing uh, the gas which was burned in a boiler. So that is one aspect. So it has reduced the gas in the boiler, but still it is, pro it is an incremental gas to produce electricity. Mm -hmm. So that's where the debate comes. So there is an incremental gas. It is producing electricity. If you just stay within that boundary, yeah, then because there is an incremental gas consumption, because of that, then there is going to be GHG emissions. Right. 
However, if you look at beyond that, that electricity which is being produced by CHP, it is reducing draw from the grid. Like it is going to have an impact on the grid. Yes. So then we go to the, so we have to go to the grid. We right. have to see what it is doing to the grid. And it is no different than any other technology of CDM technologies which are being put in the same perspective. Yes. The whole concept of uh, electrical energy efficiency program is that if you reduce your, let's say you change your light bulbs, it will reduce your draw. Yes. It will reduce draw from the grid. Right. But we're in Ontario, yeah. I'm going to play devil's advocate, yeah, sure. we're in Ontario, we have a very green grid, don't we? Yeah, so we will get to that. Okay. But just, just <laughs> on, on this one very quickly, so where I was going to get it, so if we look at that uh, uh, the CHP is now displacing, let's assume for a minute before we get to that question, okay. and it's a very interesting one, that it is reducing draw from the grid. Mm -hmm. And now where that uh, electricity is coming from, which it is reducing. Let's say we have a CHP of one megawatt. It is displacing one megawatt from the grid. Now where that one megawatt is coming from? Mm. So let's assume for a minute that, uh, that it is coming from gas fire generation. Right. So then you can look at that CHP is, you know, could be anywhere from 75 to 85% efficient. Yes. Mm -hmm. It is displacing the electricity which is being produced by uh, gas power plants, which are at best probably are about 45% right. efficient. Okay. And we are talking about high reading values, just to be sure. Uh, so, so that's where the efficiency comes in. And when we see that there are the efficiency gains, <clears throat> then there got to be GHG reduction. Mm -hmm. Now we will get to the second question. So, so let's, let's is, so the first part was, that so if we agree that CHP has an impact and it reduces draw from the grid. So I think everybody agrees on that. Yes. Uh, then the second question comes exactly what you mentioned that, okay, so what, where is that reduction? Our grid is so clean, so how it can have an impact right. on the GAG reduction? So when you look at, uh, Right, so are, are we are we good so far? We're good, good. yeah, okay. we're good. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure that, yeah. you know, I, I, I make it clear without using slides or, sure. or oh, the whiteboard. So when you look at our energy supply, our energy supply mix as it is today, <clears throat> we have base load of nuclear yes. <clears throat> of about 10,000 megawatt. <clears throat> then the next layer up, which is for the base load is hydro. Mm -hmm. There is about 3,500 megawatt, which is always base load. Yes. There is another about 1,500 to 2,000 megawatt, which changes depending upon the demand. Of hydro. Of hydro. Okay, yes. Right? So that's where our grid is clean. The next one, the next layer up is uh, renewables, although the slice is very small, but it is still there. Right. Now, the renewables are intermittent. You know, when the sun doesn't shine and wind doesn't, wind doesn't blow, like a day like today, for example, uh, we don't have that source of energy. Yes. So that cannot be used to meet our fluctuating demands right. uh, hour by hour. Now, when you look at the last layer up in our supply mix is gas-fired generation. Right. 
and that gas fire generation could change anywhere from 200 megawatt to 5500 or 6000 megawatt okay depending upon our demand right and another fun fact we have about 10000 megawatt of installed gas fire generation and there is a reason for that mm-hmm. because if we didn't need gas fire generation then why would we have 10000 megawatt right. of installed right. capacity and we do go up to in the, let's say on a hot summer day yeah or on a very cold winter day especially we could see gas fire plants running close to 5000 megawatt yeah yeah so so far so yep. so good right yeah so now let's see that uh, uh 1 megawatt of chp comes on and which of these sources it is going to have an impact it's not going to have an impact on nuclear because that is base load because you can't control it right for right. most part right it won't have any effect on most of the hydro although right. it would have effect on some but the biggest effect it is going to have is on the gas fire generation okay mm-hmm. yeah so now if it is going to have it if it is going to displace that 1 megawatt from the gas fire generation So now these gas plants don't need to produce that 1 megawatt right at 45% efficiency. Okay. That 1 megawatt is produced by CHP on site at about 75 to 85% efficiency. Right. Gotcha. So which, that's where the the GHG reduction comes into the right, place. Right. Which I guess would mean that in future really we're going to be looking at even greater reductions on that front then because obviously although pickering has been extended but that comes offline. You know, if you have natural gas plants that are operating to provide us with our electricity, CHP could even provide a greater benefit at that point, right? Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. What you what you're raising, Lisa, because uh, uh, yeah, the Pickering looks like we don't know if it is has been extended or not, but uh, let's assume that it gets extended. But there is also the other nuclear fleet which is going through the refurbishment. That's right. So, at any given time, like uh, let's say when 25 or something uh, you could have 2 3000 megawatt of shortfall right now we know that renewables are picking up and they could uh, fill that gap but the only way it can add their resiliency and uh, to fill that gap our storage technology has to develop right. to store yes. 2000 megawatt of yeah right uh, of that energy which can be used yeah. uh, to meet the fluctuating demands uh, right. so what we can see for now that uh, uh that these gas plants are going to run uh at least at the same level if not more huh yeah. so and they that's where the concept of this marginal right. uh, power comes in and marginal emission factors right okay uh, so uh, and that's where the concept of flexible chp also comes in right that uh, flexible chp can play some really important role uh to reduce then ghg emission because flexible chp could displace some of this marginal what we call marginal power which is the gas fire generation okay. or portion of the uh hydro, hydro. generation okay. so that's what we call marginal, marginal. power okay okay yeah. interesting wow and so, that's where you know we could have some discussion if we have time about the emission factors okay but i'll let you uh, yeah yeah ask no i'm just, i'm thinking had. of this a cloudy day where the solar is is has dropped you know we don't have much solar production today today's a good day for cogen i'm just i'm always thinking of marketing and the slogan that comes to mind is stick your chp when the sun don't shine but, um <laughs> so if if the honorable minister of 
Ministry of Environment and whatever they're calling themselves these days walks into this room right now. Um, what's your, you know, maybe it's these marginal emissions factors, but you know, does he walk in and you say, you got to change it, you're wrong? Like, like how do you, where, where do you see this? Because I think that the province has adopted a different approach, whether, and they don't really know what they're doing from a carbon perspective, but if that person walked in today, what would you say to them? Like, how do we get that methodology adopted? Because it makes perfect sense to me. Um, it's the right way to look at it. How do we move from here to, to get it as a policy framework? Yeah, so 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 that's where I, I was saying, you know, it is a political will. Yeah, right. And okay. uh, technically, I, I, I don't think that there is much dispute on this concept. Now, how do you present and how do you adopt into your policy when the there is so much uh, uh, activity going on about electrification and uh, non-fossil fuel generation. So, so I think that's where the ministry or the government really need to need to figure out that there is a reality on one side. Yes. That you know we we, we need to keep the uh, we need to still heat the homes and we need to keep the lights on. Yes. And keep the manufacturing going in Ontario. Yes. And we need to keep all these energy costs as yeah. low as possible. Yeah. And at the same time, we need to reduce GHG emissions. Yeah. And I think if if by somehow. Uh, the policymaker can accept the fact that uh, CHP reduces GHG emissions, uh, then it could fit into the into their framework, uh, and they can start accounting for uh, that how CHP is is making an impact. Mm. And it would have brought, I think, as you know very well, that just because of this confusion about the policy, we have lost. I would say maybe about 20 megawatt. Oh, I would agree. I mean, there's a, there's a project, I'm pointing in the wrong direction. There's yeah. a project at Western University that yeah. should have gone ahead. Policy killed it. I mean, there's yeah. other projects. But there, I know there are yeah. a couple of others. Yeah. So essentially, we have lost about $50 million investment. Yeah. yeah. At least in Ontario, just because of that policy. So here's an interesting question that just came to me. You have, there's a couple, if, if it's all a policy discussion, there's the policy of, of emissions reduction. There's a, there's a, so that's kind of one pitch. There's a pitch around resiliency because I really believe strongly in that piece, and then there's a pitch around, you know, economic investment. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you pick, which one do you think is the best? Like, how does, how does, what, what's, what should CHP as an industry lead with? You know, if that minister walked in, do we say to him, hey, let's do the math on on emissions reduction, or do we say to him, hey? We're going to provide Sunnybrook Hospital with resiliency when there's an ice storm, or hey, you know, we're going to invest fifty million dollars. You know, sixty percent of that is private capital, or, or all of it's private capital. What do you see as the strongest story for CHP? I would say I think it is all. It depends. <laughs> okay. yeah. no, because it, it depends where CHP is going to be installed. Like that's as you right, said, yeah. if it okay. is Sunnybrook, that's where the resiliency is is is, is very important. Is, is very yeah. important. Yes. Or let's say high-rise building in Toronto, for example, yes. you know, uh, for the emergency plan and all that. So, yeah. so that would be very important for that. If you are a manufacturing facility, yeah. from then you're really very interested on in reducing your cost, unless there are some industrials who are very interested not only reducing cost, but reducing GHG emissions as well. Right. Uh, because of their sustainability index. Right. So for them, those would be both factors. And uh, so the cost, we can do the math and everybody can agree that, yeah. okay, you know, that's that the cost is. Uh, 
where the confusion is about the GHG that yeah. uh, what are the GHG, are these GHG reduction or these are addition, that's where the government could play a very right. important role, uh, at least having a uh, some direction yeah. uh, for the industry yeah. saying that uh, these are the emission factors one needs to use mm. and then leave it up to the industry. Interesting. And we right now, we do not have an official marginal grid emission factor for Ontario. We have a, we have a, we have take all the megawatt hours, we take have, all the emissions, divide by all the megawatt hours and you get one number, right? That's what and we that have is, basically. That is called the average. Yeah. So when you look at the average right now, it is very low because it's a very simple math. Yeah. So yeah. when you look at, let's say, 100 units of energy produced and uh, 90 is coming from nuclear and 10 was gas, let's say, and the emissions from that 10 gets divided by total 100, yeah. then your emission is really small. Yeah. Right. So indirectly what it is telling us that when CHP comes on, it is having an impact on nuclear, hydro, everything. Right. Whereas right. it doesn't. Right. But people are still using that 30 gram per kilowatt hour yes. average yes. emission factor. So do you, so that's from a, yeah. you know, an institution, a hospital, a university, I get that they're beholden to a uh, a provincially mandated emission factor, you know, like you say, the average number, right? But in your experience, when you're working with an industrial, you know, we're very empathetic to industrials who, um, you know, maybe have one Ontario plant and the rest are in the U.S., right? So they're getting they're getting um, pressure from the Americans to drive down costs. So they look at CHP. In your experience, have those industrials been able to take your framework and use if they have some sustainability target corporately have they had success in taking your framework and that marginal emission factor uh, as part of their internal accounting even though it's not the policy of the day in that jurisdiction have you, have you seen guys do people do that where they use it as a as part of their internal accounting unfortunately not okay because uh, when it comes to the reporting and all that yeah uh, then uh, it becomes government policy. Okay. And if that policy does not accept yeah. uh, this concept of using uh, marginal emission factors, yes. So uh, that's where you know uh, some uh, big corporations who are very uh, concerned about their sustainability in that yeah. right. they have walked away from CHP mm -hmm. just based on that. And I'm pretty sure that you know about those customers. Yeah. 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 So that's why you know this policy about GHG. Yeah. Uh, emission factor, I think, is is very critical. Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Well, and and it and it it's driving the market to, you know, there's a lot of people now who are, instead of CHP, they're going to a less efficient technology and simple cycle, right? You know, we we've we've done a bunch of projects where, you know, it's a simple cycle gas engine at you know, thirty percent electrical efficiency, right? HHV or thirty five at best. Right. So because of the policy framework, we're actually going in some ways the other yeah. way, right? Because yeah. we're seeing, you know, peaker plants go in in industrial sites for GA mitigation. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So when you look at it, that uh, what GA is doing to, to CHP and uh, uh, for GA, if some people are installing simple cycle, for yeah. example, so yeah. now you're adding uh, right. emissions and so, right. so it is all very convoluted it right is. now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to add some clarity to that. Sure. So uh, so what we have done, uh, so that that was the issue. So we made our presentations to to the province a few years ago and okay. to ISO 
uh, on this concept of GHG reduction. Yes, I yes. have spoken at few conferences. Yes. So, yes. so the issue used to come into the play that uh, uh, which source of energy or generation is being impacted. Right. And uh, let's say gas plants, they run for various reasons. So they may or may not get uh -huh. impacted by CHP. So we engage because they provide other services beyond just energy. Exactly. And capacity. Yeah. So there might be some contracts uh, for contractual obligation. They might run. They might run for grid stability, for ramping up, ramping down, peaking. So the whole bunch of things. Right. So that was way beyond you know what I could understand. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. we engage uh, a company called Power Advisory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we the know expert. those. Yeah. They know how the grid operates. Yes. So we asked them to do the analysis. Okay. So they have established, uh, so they have built models now uh, based on the hourly data. And uh, based on those models, they can see that uh, which source of generation is on the margin or what it is contributing. Uh, right. Let's say between uh, uh, gas and hydro, or even renewables, uh, what they are doing to the emission factors. Right. And they have also taken into account, uh, because they take into account import and export and everything. Right, okay. So based on all that, they have developed curves, which is sort of an S-curve. Yes. Uh, that uh, uh, there are times that uh, the emission factor would be very low, depending upon what is the generation, what is the demand and supply. And then there will be times then it would be higher and then it could be very high. Okay. So so they have done this hour by hour analysis. So the model is built on for the last three, four years, hour by hour, and then it is projected into based on the last uh, long term energy plan which was presented. So they have done the analysis hour by hour for the next twenty years. Wow. Wow, yeah. So we have an emission factor for every hour projecting wow. into the next twenty years. Really? Huh. So, what we have done, we have condensed it into a more uh, uh, practical format okay. where people uh, can use it. So now you can have. So you can have. So if you install a CHP today, it has nothing to do what happened in the past. Right. Right. You have to see what it is going to do in the next twenty years. Right. So that's where we we consider that what are the factor which are going to be in the next twenty yeah, years. Yeah. So you can take an average and uh, take all these things into account and mm. come up with an average marginal emission factor. Mm. So is this document that they prepared, is it ready? Like, like is, it, is it available out there for people to actually reference? Yeah, so that's a very good question and very timely because uh, uh, so the document is uh, it's ready, but we are just uh, going through the final draft. Mm. And uh, so in the next few weeks that really? the document wow. is going wow. to be available for public consumption. Really? And, and that, is that a document that comes from Enbridge? Like, did Enbridge fund this work? Yeah, so we funded that work. Really? Wow. Yeah, so we funded that work and cool. Power Advisory has done the work. So. And is there a, so then, then do you march back into the ISO office and kind of slam that down <laughs> the desk and say, see, we were right? Or what, what, what's the next step with that document? No, so it would be for public consumption, okay. and obviously, you know, it, uh, it it will be available to ISO as well, and uh, then we will see that uh, okay. uh, how it is accepted. So, and can you give us an early indication? Does it does it validate the the early work that you did? Yeah, so so we have been doing we have been using those uh, marginal emission factors for a lot of our CHP analysis, and uh, for quite a few clients, you know. Uh, 
uh, not our clients, but our customers. Yeah, sure. And some consultants who have come to us and they have said, okay, so uh, what if? Right. And then what is very interesting, uh, so we have done so many scenario or different sizes of CHP and different scenario. And uh, if there is a well-designed CHP system, which we all promote, we don't want to see CHP system going at 50% efficiency or Correct. 60%. Correct. If you have a CHP system which is very well-designed, let's say anywhere from 70 plus mm. efficiency, mm -hmm. and if you use the marginal emission factor, then CHP is always going to reduce GHG emission. Okay. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Or at a minimum, it is not going to add any mm. GHG emissions. Right. So we have Very done cool. the analysis for residential, commercial, industrial. Really? And we, right now, uh, we are looking at uh, using those factors. We have put together a case to change or at least present it to the building officials for SB10. Oh, cool. Because okay. what, what they're doing in SB10, they used to use marginal emission factor. They change it to average emission factor. And if you use that average emission factor for new construction, you cannot pursue HP in any new building. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so we have engaged another consultant, uh, Sustainable Building Canada. Yes. And there is another consultant who has done power genesis, Vito, who has done very extensive analysis, hour oh, by yes. hour. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know Vito. Yeah. So we have put together all that case, which is going to be presented to building officials. That's excellent. And let's see where it goes. Wow. And we are demonstrating, we have used five examples, that in every example, if it is a well-designed CHP, and that's what we promote. We don't yeah. want to have a less no. efficient CHP. Right, right. Then CHP will always have an impact on GHG reduction. Now, when we talk about a well-designed CHP, and we're, we're kind of getting into the bug dust, but I'm yeah. okay with that. Does that, so the knock we always had as, you know, f folks who, you know, love a good gas turbine job, we always took issue with the ISO approach that, that never counted the duct burner's efficiency into a, an efficiency calculation. They always drew the box <coughs> and they kept the duct burner out of it. Um, do... Do you guys look at that, like when you're saying an efficient, you know, from an, from an emissions intensity perspective, you have to draw the, you know, it, you're going to get more efficient steam in, you know, if you're putting in a duct burner, right? Like, does that factor into your calculations? It has to, yeah, <clears throat> because yeah. uh, when you look at uh, uh, duct burner is the most efficient combustion you can have. Yeah. It is 100% on low heating low value. Low heating value, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Yeah. yeah. Really. You cannot have more efficient combustion than duct burner. Yeah. So you have to take into account because what it is doing, it is improving. When you draw the box, you're looking at how much energy is going in and how much energy is coming out. It is that okay. simple, yeah. really. Yeah. So you have to take that into account. Okay. And yeah. the moment you take that into account, then the efficiency of a, uh, of a gas turbine with HRSG it goes up, it goes into like uh, 70s. Definitely. If you yeah. don't, then it stays below 70s. Yeah. Right. Right. right, right. And that right. is just inherent of the way gas turbine works. Right. It is, right. it, there is nothing you can do. It no. is a mass machine. Right, that's you right. You just have huge amount of exhaust coming out right. unless you, and then, you know, we have done projects where we have condensing economizers to recover yeah. even that much energy. Yeah. Yeah. So you can bring 
I think there are projects we have done together. Yes. I think you have done those projects. Yes. And then they have been part of our energy efficiency program also. Yes. Where, you know, you put the condensing economizer and you can raise that efficiency mm. from low 70s to high 70s. You yep. could go up to like 78. I think the highest I saw was close to 80%. Wow. wow. On an HHV basis. <clears throat> yeah, because wow. what you're doing, the moment, so now you have huge amount of energy which is being exhausted. Right. If you can condense and recover all that latent heat, Mm-hmm. You're recovering huge amount of energy. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. So if you take all these into account, yeah, yeah, uh, it 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 would based on the the emission factors, yeah, yeah, yeah. marginal emission factor. Cool. Most of the gas turbine jobs will have an impact yeah. uh, on the GHG yeah. reduction. So the overarching theme is let's get let's get the emissions factor on a marginal basis. Let's get the policymakers to. Um, to, to subscribe to it and let's turn down the big the big inefficient combined cycle plants or even the you know CHPs or the simple cycle plants out there let's turn turn those down basically is in, in short that's the story yeah, I mean that's where CHP can play a yes. really very important right, role right right uh, for and that's all before we start talking about resiliency right yeah you know if you have a dark you know uh, day and it's not windy but you have a hospital that needs power the, the right. gas line's always going to be there, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah. Let's um, let's maybe pivot away from um, CHP for a minute and, and look, kind of stand here, looking ahead. What else do you see on the on the horizon for um, um, new technologies in, in our space? I mean, we maybe this rolls into electrification, but wh- where do you see kind of the market going if you have a an Akil Zaidi crystal ball. What, 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 what excites you about what's coming down the pipe? Well, I mean, what is because of this uh, electrification, you know, it is a uh, very emotionally charged. <laughs> <laughs> pun, pun intended, right? Yeah. Pun intended. So, so definitely our, uh, uh, the supply mix uh, would change. I mean, there is no doubt. Yeah. So there is just so much exciting work which is going on, like from her pers- Enbridge perspective, not only Enbridge, the whole gas industry okay. is really doing a lot of work to see that how we can decarbonize our uh, fuel. Yeah, yeah. And we have so much assets, so big storage, what you can call, you know, right. thousands of miles of pipeline. Yeah. Uh, how we can make sure that, you know, they are fully utilized. So there is a lot of work going on in renewable natural gas right that you know we are trying to see that how we can fill those pipes right. together with natural gas we can add uh, an RNG yeah and increase the amount of RNG to decarbonize what's, what's needed for for from your perspective what's needed for further increase of RNG you know there's a couple in the province but you know for for increased gas RNG Injection into the, into your infrastructure. What's needed to spur yeah? So that? I think that's where I'll be go out of my comfort zone. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. may say okay. something which may not make yeah. sense, but uh, but at a high level, uh, is it I a policy it, thing it, again? It's a pol- yeah, yeah. It, it is a policy. It's a framework yeah. that yeah. that we all know that the cost of RNG is much higher than the cost of right. natural gas. Right. Right. So for uh, for the market to develop to accept that higher cost, there got to be a policy in place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Once you have that in place, so that would be that would play that will create the market. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <clears throat> there will be supply that uh, where this RNG is going to come from. Right. That is a secondary issue. And and I know you mentioned you know 
Dave Tykrobe, we're going to have him on soon, um, and this is his bailiwick, but, but hydrogen fits into that piece too in terms of leveraging your existing infrastructure, does it, does it not? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so hydrogen, so Enbridge is uh, doing one work where we have power to gas yeah. facility, which uh, Dave Tykrobe probably <laughs> was He's very, mentioned very it once or twice, yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it produces hydrogen, yeah. and uh, so uh, we are looking at that how we can start injecting that hydrogen hydrogen into our into our supply mix. Yeah, so. interesting. You, you mentioned electrification being a charged topic. To me, you know, I, I step back and I say, okay, electric vehicles that that's going to happen. Um, you know, there's some stuff that you know we may get to a point where we're doing a lot of you know maybe residential electric heating. But I, I think there are some people who extrapolate the whole way and say electricity everything. I mean, where do you see, because we do, a, we burn a lot of gas and a lot of boilers for a lot of process heat and a lot of, like, th there's, there's some middle ground where we're going to end up, but that whole, you know, converting to electric boilers, in an un, particularly in an Ontario framework, do you, do you see that happening or is that, a, is that a kind of crazy dream? Yeah, so uh, I hope that before people start investing into electric boiler that they keep into consideration a couple of things. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, and then the policy makers, you know, uh, who are looking towards electrification also look at rationally that, is it possible? I mean, what is, what is doable? I mean, all of us, you know, we, as I said, I started my career in renewable and I have been working all my life, <clears throat> I have worked in energy efficiency, yeah. <clears throat> which essentially reduces GHG emissions. Yeah, yeah. So the goal has been, you know, uh, how we can make things uh, uh, cleaner, cleaner and cleaner. So, but I also, uh, at my, you know, serve, spending so much time in the, in, in the industry, <clears throat> I have become a little bit realistic as, as well. That, uh, yeah, so we have ambition, which is great, but then realistically what we can do. Right. So just to give you an example about electrification, uh, when you look at, and especially when if like, yeah, perfect makes perfect sense for EV, I mean transportation, sure. <clears throat> about 45 or big percent of our GHG emissions come from transportation sector. Right. Yeah. So that is the one, you know, what we need to address. <clears throat> but when it comes to resistance heating, or producing steam yeah. from electric boilers. Yeah. That's where we need to keep in perspective that where that huge amount of electricity will come from. Right. Do we have renewable resources in the next foreseeable future? Let's say by 2030, I'll just put a number. Sure. Do we have by 2030 uh, sources of electric supply which would provide clean or non-emitting energy? Right. I would say probably not. Right. For a very simple fact, and that's a fact, that when we look at our peak on the electric grid, is about 24,000 megawatt, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we peak at. If we were to, and if you look at on the gas side, on a very cold day, our system would peak, if you convert it into the same units, mm. it would peak at about 85,000 megawatt. So wow. if you convert everything to electricity and take into account the, uh, the efficiency factor, and unfortunately what happened is I'm talking about the air source heat pumps yes. that people talk about, that they have very high COP, so 
really there is no one-to-one -one comparison. Unfortunately, what happens is on the coldest day when that's how you design your system, uh, those heat pumps, most of them, they just run as a resistance heater because the COP goes to one. Right, right. So they're just working like a resistance heating. Mm. So essentially to meet that demand, where will you bring, where will you get 85,000 megawatt? And I don't see that between now and 2030, mm. we can build 85,000 or let's say another 60,000 megawatt right, right. of electricity yeah. generation. Okay. So I think that's the perspective yeah, that's great. Industry needs to keep in mm. in view that uh, yeah. uh, if you start investing in these boilers and start converting uh, your heating system, yeah, uh, what impact mm. it would yeah. have? So, unintentionally, what might happen is they want to do it for good cause, but then if all that is coming from forty five percent. Gas-fired power plants, and then you take into account five percent line losses. Line losses. Now yes. you have about forty percent. Right. Whereas right. gas-fired boilers, boilers. they're like eighty-five yeah, yeah. Uh, in that range. Wow. So That's... I think those are the uh, facts people need to keep in yeah. mind. And the other part is when you buy a boiler, it lasts for 40, 50 years, thirty years, and they're expensive, and they're very expensive to maintain. Mm. And so, so we need to keep all these things into perspective yeah, before yeah. we need to use the energy where it makes sense yeah. from cost and from the emissions perspective. Right. That's that. That's really you know you're really helping us focus on the forest when when a lot of us get lost in the trees. That 24 versus 85. That's just massive. Yeah, that's yeah. massive. Yeah. When I was when I walked in before we started, you and Martin were talking about flameless combustion boilers. Uh, talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, so as I was saying, I mean, that, that whole topic of flameless combustion is very technical. Yes. And sort of a little bit beyond, although I have done a lot of work in combustion. But to explain that how it works, yeah, it's, it's quite complex. So I think I'll keep it at a very high level. Okay. And uh, so as the word says, flameless, so you have combustion as no flame. Yeah. So to see that, you have to see what creates flame. How do we see the color and shape of the flame? So that all comes that how the air fuel mixture gets ignited and how the flame gets anchored at the burner. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So okay. that's how we see the flame. Okay. Because the yes. flame is anchored right. to the right. burner, right? Yes, yes. So with the flameless combustion, really the flame is not anchored. So what happened is there is a lot of air fuel comes in. It gets recirculated internally okay. closer to the burner. Yes. And it gets preheated to very high temperatures. Okay. Hmm. So what happened is in a normal combustion, uh, that flame has adiabatic temperature of let's say 34 or 3600 degrees F. Yes. And right away it gets to that temperature, yes. gets burnt, and we see the flame. Interesting. Yes. In this one, the air-fuel ratio gets recirculated, and it gets preheated, preheated, and when it is at a very high temperature, then it moves along the uh, the chamber, yes, and uh, at a very high temperature, when it is moving along the temperature, and that's where it combusts. So when it is at a mm. high temperature and it is combusting, it would combust at uh, so the flame temperature would be much lower than thirty-four or thirty-six hundred degrees. So back. is there more oxygen, more air than in the combustion process in general? No, it would be the same. Okay, it is just that before it burns, it gets preheated. Yes, mm. at a very high temperatures. Huh. And then when it burns further along the way, the flame is not anchored. You don't see the flame. 
Mm. And then it is just burning. Very cool. Further what, what's the advantage? Is it is it energy efficiency? Is it is it emissions? Like, what, why do people? Sounds complicated. Why would people go? What's the advantage? The, the whole technology got developed uh, based on NOx reduction. Okay. Because what okay. happened mm. is uh, there is a very direct correlation between NOx and the flame temperature. Right. If the flame temperature is high, NOx, NOx will be goes high. up. Yeah. So if you can reduce that flame temperature, the NOx will drop. So in this case, the flame temperature is low. Yeah. And so, so really the driving force for this uh, uh, flameless combustion, which is also called FLOX, uh-huh. was the uh, NOx reduction. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's sort of my understanding. Yeah, okay. It is uh, the whole technology got developed in Germany. Yeah. By, and uh, uh, it has picked up a lot. Okay. Hmm. Uh, like okay. when you look at the places like California, yeah. they have single-digit di- single NOx requirement from yeah. combustion. Wow. So, so and there are a lot of other jurisdictions mm. yeah. which require yeah. uh, very low NOx. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. For high temperature, that's where this technology is becoming very popular. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So, as we kind of land the plane, Akil, one of the you know, you've you've seen this whole kind of arc of our industry. You've had your ups and your downs. Um, According to Lisa, we have many younger listeners that listen to the podcast. We so, do. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have any words of wisdom for somebody mm-hmm. who's, you know, thinking about or especially those who've said, hey, I, I, I want to be in this energy industry. Do you have some words of wisdom for them that they can take and hold on to? Yeah, I think I see, I see myself in the same position like young listeners would be uh, in, uh, let's say, in 1981. Sure. For me, what was so exciting at that time was working in the solar energy. Okay. It was mm. just so exciting. Okay. And that built my passion. Yes. So we are sort of in the same time frame right now that the whole energy sector, the energy supply, the sources of energy, the GHG, it is so exciting. Mm. There are so many technologies which are coming into the play. Yeah. Way more than they were in just, at that time was just the solar energy, nothing else. Right. Now you're looking at RNG, you're looking at electric vehicle, you're looking at hydrogen, you're looking at the whole uh, decarbonizing and uh, right. and the CO2 capture technology. I and mean, there are just so many technologies. So it is, and it is going to be even more and more exciting. So yeah. if I was, 35 or 40 years ago in that field, which some of the listeners would be very exciting. Okay. So many opportunities. Yeah. The most important thing would be, I think uh, we need, they need to see, or if I was able to see at the time, the passion that, what do you have passion for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. just go with your passion. Wow. Cool. And, and but the opportunities are just, just tremendous. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and sometimes it takes a couple. You got to try a couple things to figure out what your passion is, right? Exactly. Like it, you, you yeah. don't, you don't necessarily know it intuitively. You have to say, you have to try it. Say, I don't, I don't like that. Try something else. Oh, I like that. You know, that exactly. Kind of, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Akil, thank you so much. This has yeah, been a real been pleasure for us. Um, I, I am smarter for it. Uh, that's very. Clear. Oh yeah, I know. I learned a lot today um, too. And so we appreciate you coming down here, and we, you know, you're a friend of friend of the family, so to speak, of CEM. So uh, thank you very much, and uh, we uh, we look forward to continuing to work with you and um, doing more great projects. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Kim.